spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today we kick off a four-part series about race in the South African media. It's high time that we had an unapologetic discussion about the way that race affects how we understand our society as mediated through newspapers, radio, television, even social media. And to kick off that conversation and the first part of this four-part series, I'm joined by Ponzo Pilane, who is a journalist and a lecturer. She has been a journalist in many major publications from the Daily Vox to Mail and Guardian to Health E! News, and she lectures in media studies at WITS. If you don't know her, you've been living under a rock. Ponzo, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you so much, Cizue, for having me. This is a very important uh, conversation. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And it feels like a conversation that I've been wanting to have for so long. But for some reason, this conversation always gets deferred uh, for other conversations and it gets pushed to the back burner. So I'm really excited to be having this conversation. Definitely. I think. Oh, you just want to jump in already. You're just ready. <laughs> I'm ready, I'm ready. I think, you know, me and you have had this conversation at different points, quite informally, you know, and randomly. Yeah. And it's so great, like, when I got your invite to have it, yeah. at, like, so intentionally and to have it from the perspective of being young people in the media yeah. landscape. Because I do think that our experiences or the way that we see things is quite different from perhaps how things were seen or interpreted a couple of years ago. Mm, absolutely. And on that note, I wanted to ask you about experiences, because you, despite your, your relative youth, um, you've seen a lot of the media landscape, you've been in a lot of newsrooms. Do you remember the first time when you realized that, hold on a second, like this race thing is actually a serious problem in the South African media? Can I be black and not do that, right? So I think... Um, I think the very first time race was evident for me, particularly from a media point of view, was as a viewer, as a reader, as mm. somebody who was interacting and consuming the media before I even uh, thought I would be a journalist, you know. So mm. a lot of the times I've written about this also around... Um, you know, being a young black girl growing up in a village in the Northwest called Muruleng. And my mother was a big magazine lover. My father loved the Sunday papers. So interacting with the media is something that I'm very comfortable in, particularly uh, written forms of media. So yes, television and whatnot. But I think in this case, we're really talking about um, the mainstream news or what we call hard news media. So you know, just seeing the the images, who is in the papers, what kind of women are covered, uh, or who is considered beautiful. And so it's, even before I could articulate what it meant, I, I the race, racialization was happening just from interacting with um, media texts or different forms of media as a young person. But I think uh, particularly becoming a journalist at the Daily Vox, you know, um, it's a story that both Khadija and I, who's a co-founder of the Daily Vox, share quite often about the reason I became a journalist at the Daily Vox was because of race. Khadija was in my second year media uh, studies class giving a talk about being a young um, uh, person of color in the newsroom and or in the media landscape in South Africa and talking about the difficulties 
and then she was encouraging myself and my fellow classmates which was about 200 other students around you know if we are planning to have careers in the media that we must take up space we must change the status quo we must stand by what we are as black people and i asked her what she was doing you know she was already in the newsroom what was she doing to make it easier for young black journalists like myself to become successful in the media landscape and she she talks about how that is part of the reason she started the daily box because she didn't think she had a part of she had to be part of the solution to the problem that we knew was there and so i can't separate my race and my gender from being in the media or from being a media practitioner from writing the story you know in the very early careers of uh, in the early stages of my career one of the biggest highlights of my career was uh, of course fees must fall but even before that um i wrote i started a campaign at the daily vox called sexist essay that was based on me talking about how as a young black woman who was you could consider i was middle class but you can also consider i didn't have a car at that point i was covering stories and what that meant to be young to be black to be a woman in certain spaces and the harassment that I faced, not because I was just a woman, but because I was a young black woman and how I've had to navigate my whole career within the media landscape with that. And I'm not the only one. I talk to black women all the time about how there is a contextual uh, like setting that we find ourselves in where we can't separate our race our gender even our age and we take those identities with us when we are interviewing politicians who i'm um, not saying that there are other women of other races that don't get harassed but there is like just from my experiences talking to other black uh, women journalists is that there's a level of harassment that we face because of these intersecting identities that we carry that others don't. And so I also understanding that it's not just a matter of race, that there is nuance or intersectionality in race and how I'm read as a journalist or how I'm represented even as a person within the media landscape. So it's quite a big topic. And I think there's so many examples about why or how this happens or continues to happen. So, and there's a lot that you've mentioned that I want to delve deeper into as the conversation unfolds. Uh, but I think one interesting point that, that you've raised here is, is when we talk about racism in the media, um, that it's important to, to try and delineate what we mean and what we're talking about. Because often people, you know, you'll, you'll make a comment about the media and people say, what is the media? Well, actually, there is a thing called the media and we can talk about what it is. Um, but I think what's really uh, important in what you've said is particularly for young black South Africans, the news media and uh, popular cultural media intersect in very different ways. And the messages that you get from both of them, even though they often talk about different things, reinforce the same prejudices. So on the one hand, you have a, a news and a hard news media, whether that be print, radio, TV, that's talking about politics or uh, current affairs. And then you have music, you have magazines, you have fashion. And when we experience media, we experience both of those things at the same time. And there's a, there are racial dimensions to both of those kinds of media. Yep. 
No, definitely, you know. So even, I, I sometimes don't like the word the media because it's this big thing that we don't really, mm. um, sometimes when we talk about it, we, we need to be specific, right? So um, the, the function of uh, print media, particularly news or political news, is a different, or mainstream news is a different kind of, has a different kind of impact on race than, uh, let's say, what is considered to be soft news, like talking about arts and culture and certain things that are not necessarily taken as mainstream or mm -hmm. serious news, right? And we they all have political implications in our existence. And by political, I don't mean like party politics. I mean political in the sense of um, our identity, how we construct who we are in society, what we think of other people in society as well. And I think the media, as we call it, plays a role of, um, co a collective role of shaping the way we as people see uh, other different people that, or, or even people who look like us, you know, how we experience or how we interpret other cultures, other genders, other other realities that are not necessarily ours, and and that is the that is the power of of the media. I mean, the word media comes from mediate, and so understanding that we are playing this mediatory role between uh, different realities and different um, levels of people in different societies is something that I think sometimes we don't really consider as we do our work or the, consider the implications in shaping how to other people. And that's the responsibility that, that we hold. We don't just inform people, right? I don't just write a story about, let's say, COVID-19 and that's it. That story has an implication to uh, influence someone's reality or how they're going to react to their reality, whether they're going to take the precautions from government, from the World Health Organization and, and, and scientists seriously or not. And that is the heaviness or the burden or the responsibility that we carry. And so if we carry that in a racially unjust society like South Africa and a racially unjust world like the world that we live in, to be quite honest, what does that mean? And how do they, do we then, um, as journalists or people working within the media landscape, then contextualize or, or, uh, or really process the responsibilities that we have to shape people's ideas of race, gender, and all other social political issues in such an important way? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to get into some of the concrete ways that, that this manifests. So, so let's zero in on, on, say, the news media here where we're talking about politics, we're talking about current affairs. I think one of the key ways in which race determines the way current affairs are mediated to South Africans is in the framing of stories. So yes, we've got questions of representation, which we'll talk to later, but it's, it's, it's the way a story is presented. So in stories about corruption, you know, what pictures accompany uh, a, a story even even on social media like how do you how do you frame uh, a black politician versus a white businessman a uh, woman how do you how do you frame um you know your headline in such a way that it becomes clickbait which re reinforces racial stereotypes um so 
Can we talk about this framing conversation and the way that it impacts uh, the question of race in the media? And this is something that I think a lot of people just 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 take um, take it as given, whereas it's actually quite a powerful device. No, I mean you, you you're talking about something quite important, and I think that conversation is often um, plays out in the media if there's a big headline around um, certain individuals who have committed a crime, certain rape, like let's say, like you say, if a crime is perpetrated by white individuals as compared mm. to black individuals, and what happens, you know, we've seen it in the racialization of even gender-based violence, where um, there is kind of like this if it's if the the perpetrator rightfully so is identified and is a man is a black man we're going to see the face but if it's a black it's a as a as a, as a non-black man maybe the stakes are a little bit less or the chances of us mm. seeing that face and it's it's these are the things that happen and then we we have to often ask ourselves why why do why do we have framing like that and mm. i think it, it leads to the idea of ethics but also the kind of gatekeeping and the political or the socio-political backgrounds of people who report right um mm. are, are journalists aware of how um uh, white supremacy or how race has shaped their understanding of the world their positionality um, my positionality as a reporter, as I'm writing about a certain thing, the words that I'm using and, and, and the contextual mm. or the context in which I'm using them and what it could mean because I'm writing this as a black person or as a white person. Mm. And I think mm. to be quite honest, like one of, I, I, I'm probably going to get uh, a lot there. of fun. But I think, <laughs> you know, I think uh, uh, we, we as journalists could be more critical uh, mm. and and i think mm. not critical as in like critiquing but more nuanced in our thinking we could apply critical Absolutely. thinking just a little bit more in the way that we present stories or craft stories you know i mm. think sometimes um we the idea that race does not like in telling stories and we think race does not matter should matter sometimes and i remember very quite early in my career where mm. i was working on a story with a very experienced um uh senior journalist it was a political story about jacob zuma and um they were insisting that i describe jacob zuma as he was the president then it was just if i remember correctly it was just before it was mm. during the local government elections of 2016 yeah so uh ac was launching their manifesto in uh, peter no port elizabeth nelson mandela bay and you okay. know so we attended and i had to write like a color a color piece about um the manifesto launch and i wrote it and the person who was editing my piece at that time was like oh no please add uh, that he was dancing with no worry and i was like no i'm not gonna say that like mm. and he's like but that's mm. a fact Jacob Zuma was dancing and I was like, yes, mm. but why, what, like, why do we have to paint a, like a black person mm. as a dancing, like this idea that, you know, and I was just like, I'm not comfortable with being, and I, you know, and this is how gatekeeping works. I'm my mm. first gatekeeper before a story is written, right? My own personal political views are mm. a kind of filter the story already. And I, I pushed back, you know, because I didn't see the relevance of, 
of saying that he was dancing because for mm. me you know in in kind of my the, the way i was i'm not I, I i fell into journalism by mistake i didn't really study journalism i studied media studies which is very different from the practice of journalism and in my media studies background you know stereotypes like black people dancing is something that we was highlighted to us in university and so i thought i didn't see how it made it 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 made a difference to my story uh, what i was writing about which is how the anc rally went how mentioning the fact that he was dancing does anything for that story that I was writing but it does something else for a political the other politicization of mm. you know mm. painting Jacob Zuma as like this dancing buffoon and mm. there mm. is historical context of black people dancing and whatnot there's so much nuance in it and so I just it was like a back and forth for a while and I kind of won because I was like okay if I'm if glad. you're gonna put that in, I don't want my byline on that story because yeah, something yeah. that I really, really believe strongly about. Sorry, so, so just so just so there, because hmm. you're taking us exactly into the territory where where, where I want to go. Because you you've you've raised the the tension that I think so many people feel, which is on the one hand, the the point is not to not to criticize Jacob Zuma, right? And, and because most politicians in South Africa are black, um, or at least because the ANC has a majority of black people in its, in, in its ranks in the EFF, and they make up about two thirds of, of political representation. But then there's the problem that many journalists in hard news publications are white and prominent. You have this strange situation where politicians are doing things that you disagree with, but you also disagree with the way that white journalists are framing how they disagree with these politicians. And so you're fighting this double battle of saying, of course, I don't agree with corruption, for example, but I also don't agree with the way that you are framing this individual, which reinforces stereotypes about black people and corruption. There's a different way to do that. Yes. So that's, so, you know, we talk about, and this is like media ethics 101, the idea of objectivity and where, where the journalist can be objective. And, and, uh, you know, we, we talk more now about fairness, trying to be fair rather than objective, because we do carry our own sociopolitical values, ideologies. And like I just explained now with the Jacob Zuma example is that my own ideological and political background um, did not allow me, and I don't mean political, political party. I always have to explain mm, this because I mm, think sometimes mm. when we use the word political, people don't understand what we mean. Um, so it was that that kind of informed my the way in which I would like the story to be told or how mm. a very objective observation of an event like a rally is going mm. to be told through my eyes, right? And so... We find ourselves in, in a lot of situations like that. And this is why I said that I feel like we, and not just as media practitioners or a media industry, but as South Africans as a whole, we could be more critical and more nuanced in our thinking than we are. Mm. You know, I think uh, when, we, when, we, when we talk about a politician, you can criticize a politician or point out the wrongdoing of a, a, a politician, but you don't have to do that in a racist way, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, a lot of the times in South Africa, you got caught, we get caught up in 
while defending or calling out the racism is often conflated with um with co-signing mm. the corruption which is not necessarily the truth i can absolutely categorically be against the wrongdoing of a politician or mm. not necessarily see myself or align with or agree with a stance of a politician or whatever but i do not have to be racist in my disagreement with the mm. next person or sexist or any kind of form of bigotry and what we find ourselves i remember you know uh like we found ourselves in these these conversations so many times where a certain journalist has said something and it's framed the framing is racist and so south africans come out and want to call out the racism but it gets conflated with defending the actions of that person and Mm. i think a lot of the times there's a back and forth between that and we never really take the conversation forward for example Jane Duncan, who I love so much, Professor Jane Duncan, she's at UJ, she's an incredible media scholar. She was one of the first um, mm-hmm. media scholars to investigate the how print media covered Marigana, the Marigana massacre, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in her research, she found that, you know, uh, the miners were not, in, prior mm-hmm. to August 16th, the media, journalists were not interviewing minors that the majority of 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 print space was taken by mine management um was taken by business analysts Mm -hmm. and everyone and and i I always remember this stat because i always use it with my students or even in conversations with other journalists three percent of the voices in stories about the strike before august 16th were from minors 3% 3% before uh, before the shooting, right? Before the massacre happened. What does that tell you, right? Like for weeks on end, there was, a, a, um, there was this a wage strike for 12%, but only 3% of, the, of, of journalists actually spoke mm. to mm. minors. What does that say to us about class, about race, about all these other sociopolitical factors that play a role in how we represent people? Why is it that we were okay as a as an industry with interviewing analysts and 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 the CEOs or the spokespeople for lawnmen and mining industry experts, mm-hmm. but we were not investing resources in sending journalists to Marikana before black bodies were killed, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's mm-hmm. then that. And also even that, there was, um, there was a lot of kind of backlash or conversations and criticism around the replaying of that video and whether if this was white people who were being shot and slaughtered in that manner that we would have been able to see the footage over and over and over again like that. And so these are the these these are the issues that really come up. I just now in lockdown, I got a flag on Twitter because I was not comfortable with people sharing the video of that I, I forget his name now. The young man in, in, mm. in Cape Town when the city of Cape Town was evicting him and he was naked. Mm, the video that. was all over my timeline. Mm. And mm. I was just I it, it disgusted 
me because why does it take us seeing de- the uh, black people being dehumanized for why is that the thing that makes us stand up as citizens but why is it also the thing that we lean into can i as a journalist not tell the story of the brutality that was happening in cape town uh, during a lockdown without mm. using those images and why is it that there is the the dehumanization of black people or in the political sense black bodies continues to happen and why are we okay with it as people as readers as audiences and so it's, it's it's much bigger than just the media and what the media represents but also what we believe as people about different races yeah you've touched on something that really really gets my my blood boiling which is well there are two things i think the first thing that you've mentioned which which is so key and and it feels like not enough people just aren't held accountable enough is is the use of tropes um, so we've spoken about dancing, um, f- using terms like thugs and, and depicting people as violent, black people as inherently violent and dangerous if they're embarking on a political program that might be threatening to um, white people. Um, and, or also this question of intelligence. Uh, so if you're doing one of those three things, please stop. Uh, so, so using you know, tropes of stupidity and uh, and, and this, again, applied often to, to President Zuma, um, often applies to people like Julius Malema. Um, just stop doing it. Just stop using those tropes and, and just talk about the action. And, and I think part of the reason why these tropes are allowed to just parade in, in these major publications often is that there aren't enough black people to call it out or, or if there are black people within these newsrooms or, or in the senior structures, they're surrounded by, by white colleagues and their voices aren't taken seriously. So, so let's come on to this question of, of representation, particularly in the private hard news media in South Africa. We've got a crisis, don't we? In some places, you, you can have entire organizations that don't have black people. Like what's going on here? What country are we in? And, and no one's calling it out. I mean- Transformation in the media. I mean, you know, ownership, um, and this is a part of um, media, uh, like media studies, critical political economy, and think about the role that things like race and transformation actually play. There's a lot of work that has been done in this area around looking at how many people, you know, we have publications that about 70% of senior management is still black, is still white in media organizations. There are some where, and it's not a matter of just, it's not even just for me, it's not, it's beyond race, right? Like, so you can be the right race or whatever the right race is, or you Mm -hmm. can be the, like, I can be a black person, but be anti-black right so it's beyond just the representation of race it's also about the representation of people of different races within those structures you can have uh, a hundred percent black owned publication that is Mm anti-black you can Mm -hmm. and 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 it's about when we look at you know um one thing that we need like we can't talk about 
race in the media and not talk about issues of ownership. And when we look at the ownership structures that are happening, already South Africa, the South African media landscape exists in a very oligopoly, uh, in, in what we call an oligopoly. So um, media owners are few, and it's not a monopoly because it's not one person, but it's few people. There's a few people who, a few organizations that own media and therefore there's very little room. When we look at, um, I remember it was the Mail and Guardian data desk that did the story a couple of years ago around mm. the transformation, the racial diversity of different media groups, you know. Mm. And I think it was MSG that had uh, the highest, like, management of African people. And, mm. and, and we saw kind of like, you know, in some places where top management is 100% white or... Yeah. Uh, top management is like more white than people think mm. you know when we look at community media and stuff like that and so it's 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 we have to talk about representation but beyond representation we need to talk about it's not enough just having black people in management or owning media but when they do because it, again that's why i said you can't separate the issue of race class and gender so you yeah. can have 100% on uh, black media organizations, but how do they represent black people? Do they still use these tropes that you were talking about? And, mm. and, and do we still lean into the stereotypes as black reporters? But it does play a role that when, the, and this is not to kind of minimize the fact that having black management can make a difference, but it does not automatically make a difference because mm. they can be window dressing. And so for me, when we talk about race in the media landscape we really need to just talk beyond having 100 percent black owned media organizations or having yeah. diversity hires or having enough black journalists that's not enough we need to have journalists that understand the tool uh, understand the power that uh they they can they that race plays in how we see certain people right mm, so for mm. instance how we portray certain races in terms of whose pain or whose humanity can we put up for display or whose humi humiliation or dehumanization mm. is required for us to understand that this person is um has been harmed and who then gets a chance to be humanized so there are people who are dehumanized based on race and there are people who are humanized. And we can't step away from that. But again, it goes back to this problem season where we find ourselves where the conflation or the raising or the, when, you ra when you think through a racial lens, sometimes it is seen as you not you condoning bad behavior by certain people. And it surely mm -hmm. is not that. And, and I think I come from a group uh, uh, like my circle, I don't want to say my generation because I'd be speaking for too many people, but mm. like I come from a, a background where we can agree and disagree on things. Things, two things can be, can exist and coexist. You can mm. be an incredibly gifted journalist and blow the lid on a massive investigation and still be racist. Like that is happening. We see it all the time right and and it's the inability for us as 
consumers or as audiences and readers and viewers to mm. articulate this in its nuances, but also to accept it in that nuance that is existing that makes it a problem. But um, yeah, so I don't know, you know, I, mm. representation matters, but more than representation, um, the intention of the representation also matters. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where things become complicated because there have been examples of media houses that have tried to pursue a, a or at least masqueraded under a pro-black agenda, but actually were condoning corruption. And then, you know, you turn around and say, whoa, now you're, now you're leveraging the rhetoric of being pro-black in order to still pursue a conservative agenda. So it's not enough, as you say, and I think that's a crucial point, just to have black representation. It's also not enough to, to have a bunch of black journalists at the bottom of the organization, junior black journalists, who all report to a slightly deracialized senior management, who then report to a very white dominated management that's owned by a purely white capital. You know, so sometimes I feel like these organizations say, hey, but look, we've got black journalists, but it's about yeah. representation throughout the media organization from top to bottom. And that there's actually a cultural transformation within the organization and not just um, a few splashes of diversity at the lowest levels. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, uh, for me, like I said, I come in like, and this is not like trying to play a little like Pokemon around my identities and that I'm more oppressed because I'm a black, yeah, I'm mm. black woman. But, you know, for me, a question that I always ask myself is, where are the 40 something year old black women in kind of like hard news? Where are they? You know, because when mm. I started off as a young black woman, a journalist, like as a junior reporter at the Daily Vox, many of my colleagues, we were, there's a lot of black women, you know, mm. that we start off at the bottom, but we lose so many of them to corporate or to other industries. And for me, it's, you, you see the representation of kind of like veteran black journalists, black yeah. main, main, main journalists. You see the representation of black, of white and black, uh, white uh, men and women veteran journalists, like mm. people who have been journalists for 30 plus years, you know, but I don't particularly see it in terms of my demographic, like mm. who is the 50 year old, black woman who is still a journalist who has who stayed and my question is why don't they stay if they you know yeah. we have uh um mayor sophie mukwena you know and this is not like that was, that was the only they name are. that came to mind honestly I exactly was like, mayor sophie how is that and, okay and yeah. and who and who mm. and who mm. and how is that okay how is that okay mm. how are we you know how how is this not something that we are talking about more often, you know, mm. um, about why do black journalists, black women journalists leave the industry or are mm. they stagnated somewhere? Um, why are they only, I mean, I'm thinking of Nobisa at um, the Sowetan, Mapula um, at the Daily Sun. Those are the two black women editors of a print publication that I can think of from the top of my head. Mm. But I can think of so many black men. I can think of so many white women. I can think of so many uh, uh, 
white men who have been editors in chief, but I can't do the same for somebody who looks like me. No. Mm. And so this is what I mean by it's not just about having the black people in the newsrooms is what happens. So, so you can have a 50% black staff, but are they writing stories that are, that represent black people in a humanized way, in an anti, in, in a way that's not anti-black and, mm. and all these other factors that, 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 that are at play. And are we also not, oh, this is a difficult one because are we also not like trying to bait debates or as, like, are we not also using race as an escapism for, or as an, as an scapegoat rather for bad behavior? You know, mm. there's mm. been stories mm. that have come out and we know, we know the bots on Twitter, you know, uh, where, a story comes out on corruption and it's oh because yeah. it's a it's a black man you're trying to take a black man down mm. or we even see the we just see kind of race being used in this very unethical manner and not in the ways that it needs to be used or it needs to be discussed and in in, in the media so i think we're still it's a tough one, but I think mm. more than ever, the thing that for me bothers me the most is how we represent certain people, right? Um, for instance, I, I've asked this of my white colleagues and some of them don't talk to me anymore. It's like, why are you so, why are you, so, why are you not writing about what, like GBV and the white community? Like I would ask that. I, and I asked that as a black reporter who writes predominantly about you know, gender and all these things. And in many lights, I could be, I have, I have even been called a white monopoly stooge because I wrote about black men in a certain way and whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, where is that work where um, there is, it's not just, there is no in the way that we report on certain issues mm -hmm. and that we, we racialize things in a way that matters. So the representation is not just about showing, it's, it's not saying that just be, we have to have, show crimes uh, committed by non-black people because it's, we're trying to represent, it's, and that's not what I'm saying. That's, that's like really reducing the argument to something that is not really what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is that how are, are we aware of how, race can be weaponized against black people in the way that we choose to report about black mm. people in whatever way. Well, I think, I think that's probably the, the right place to, to end the, the conversation because I want to ask you in conclusion about the dangers of, of a narrow focus on race. So of course, race matters. Um, and of course, it's a fundamental uh, dividing line in our society. And there are evident historical and present reasons for that. But if we are only concerned about racial representation, then we can miss other fundamental things in our society. Of course, you've mentioned questions of gender, questions of the, the violent patriarchy that confronts the media and, and society. And often black men might, as you say, rise to prominence in the South African media and perpetuate questions of patriarchy and, and we've, we've got nowhere. Or, or questions of class might, might come into, into the equation. 
So again, it's this question of, of being wise to, to how multiple things need to happen at once. And, and, and I think especially the question of gender, like you've said, what it means to be a black woman in the media space um, is, is, is fundamental intersection that we need to understand. And any progressive media institution, if it's not grappling with that intersection, then you're part of the problem. Exactly. Exactly, Cesar. And you know, it's, it's, race is not the only thing we really need to think uh, from a sociopolitical, race matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And it's not just, a, a, it's not like a baby crying and you just put a pacifier in their mouth, they stop crying. That's not how we're going to deal with race <laughs> and the issue of racial diversity in our media, in our media industry. So it's, our, it's, it's, it's really around thinking very carefully about what it means to be to 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 talk about race in the media right like what does when you say when let's talk about like in the current affairs when you mm. use certain words to describe black perpetrators mm. when you choose to use an image of a black perpetrator and then there's a white perpetrator and you don't use that image or you withhold their names mm. what is the implication of that and what is the message that we're sending out to society when um when you have uh racist cartoons in your newspaper what does that mean for a large the larger idea of where South Africa is supposed to go. And in closing, those are the things that we need to grapple with, to grapple with the, what it means and, and the implications of the actions that we take as journalists, as, as a sub-editor, as an editor, when we choose to represent certain things or frame things in the way that we do. That we, we do more introspective work about how and why we do things. And I think if we're more, you know, if we lean more into kind of using critical thinking to talk through how and why and when and reflect on these things in a more honest and meaningful way, transformation in the media will, will be meaningful. But I think we're still a, a, a long way from that, but I do not think we are where we were maybe 10 years ago. Well, Ponzo, uh, thanks so much for joining us. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I suspect more will be necessary, but let's hope we, we kick off a conversation and that this really you know, becomes something where media institutions are held as accountable as they hold others. Definitely. Thank you so much. And congratulations on the series. And I can't wait to hear the other three parts. Looking forward. Like, share, comment, and subscribe below and uh, follow Ponzo. We've got her uh, social media tags in the description. Aye.